work much better when you turn them on. Hey, before we get started this morning, anybody uh, have a turkey hangover going on right now? Anybody not have turkey? Rebel? This is all people's church. You're welcome here. You nonconformist, you. Hey, uh, open your bulletin, and did you see this invitation card we have? So excited, December 13th, we're having our own original performance of A Christmas Carol Retold. Steph and I rewrote this along with our brother-in-law to uh, really show people the, the meaning of Christmas. It's a great production. We've done it before, um, and this is an awesome opportunity to invite your friends, your family members, People who don't know Jesus yet, they'll clearly hear the gospel, and a wonderful way for the church to redeem the arts. So we're really excited about this. It's put on by all, uh, all people's cast and crew, so it's going to be great. You excited about that, guys? And um, the, the next Sunday will be our All People's Church Family Christmas Sunday, where our children sing to us. We do a traditional candlelight as well, and so this is going to be a wonderful Christmas service, and then we're going to have what we do every year, which is our Christmas giving opportunity, and we always look to the poor in this opportunity, and so there's numerous families that are in our midst uh, that are, we want to meet their needs and help them have Christmas, different refugee families, different underprivileged families, as well as ones connected to our anchored youth group, as well as the Christian club here on Crawford campus, and so We'll be taking up a large offering on that Sunday. We want to encourage you to pray, seek the, seek the Lord with your family, and ask the Lord how generous you can be. And that will also go to underwrite this musical, which is quite an endeavor for us to undertake. And then the rest will go to meet the general needs of the church as we close out the year. So always want to look first to Jesus and his church as we come into the season of giving, which is Christmas. You guys ready for the last installment of Boy Meets Girl? <laughs> Steph and I have thoroughly enjoyed uh, speaking this to you each week, and uh, as we were on a drive for a little vacation we took this past week, we heard a great story that I thought was very fitting to bring to the culmination of our series. A husband and, and wife had really gone through rocky times in their marriage, and now the husband, to show his newfound commitment and his ultimate servant's heart, was doing the hardest thing possible for a man to do in marriage, which is go shopping with his wife. And so this husband and wife were in the mall, also known as Hades, and going uh, store by store, about the third store, they're hand in hand. Something catches the husband's eye, and he gives his wife a, a sweet squeeze of the hand and says, you need to excuse me, I'll be back in a few moments. Fifteen minutes pass, no husband, thirty minutes pass, he still hadn't returned. An hour later, by now she's pretty frustrated. And so she picks up the phone, and she dials it, and she's like, honey, where are you? And he goes, sweetheart, do you remember that quaint little jewelry store that we wandered into when we were first married? You saw this diamond bracelet that you absolutely fell in love with, and I made you a promise that day that someday when we had more money, that I'd go back and get it for you. She's going, oh, honey. Tears are starting to come down her eyes. She's getting all choked up. He goes, good, I'm glad you remember that store. I'm in the bar next door watching the football game. You know, some guys just don't get it, right? And uh, we don't want you to be one of those guys this morning. And so Steph and I are going to give you 
our three top secrets to having a successful marriage. Steph and I have been blessed with a wonderful, fulfilling marriage. Although it's not perfect, we have been so, so blessed by God to have tremendous unity and fulfillment. And we want to give you our three top keys. These aren't the only keys to marriage, but these have been paramount in our own relationship. So you guys ready to hear them? Yes. All right, so turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians 4. If you don't have a Bible, I think our ushers are going to bring them down the aisle. They might have already done that, but we always love to give Bibles to anyone who doesn't have one. Ephesians 4, 29, we'll start with this verse. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it might be a benefit to those who listen. My first point today, our our first point in secrets to a successful marriage is to fight fair. Can you say that with me, church? Fight fair. Now, the presupposition here is that you will fight. And something that I always find interesting is when I talk to a couple in premarital counseling, and I'll start by asking them, so what's the primary source of your conflict? And occasionally I'll find a couple that kind of puffs up their chest in pride, and they look at each other with these googly loving eyes, and they say, well, we don't have fights in our marriage. And I'll look at them and and get all concerned with my face and say, that's bad. And they'll go, why is that bad? And I'll say, because one of you is not being real. And they'll look at each other, oh my goodness, and one of you is unnecessary. Because if you agree on everything, there's no point in having another person in your marriage. Why? Because Proverbs says this, is iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And God wants to use your marriage to conform you into the image of Christ. And one of the main ways he does that is through healthy conflict. Can you say healthy conflict, church? You know, because there's this misnomer that we shouldn't have conflict in our relationships, but conflict is the very thing that sharpens us. It's not conflict that we don't want to have in our relationship. It's injuring each other in the conflict that's destructive. Conflict's not the problem in your marriage. It's hurting each other. It's not fighting fair that brings destruction. The Bible actually says wounds from a friend can be trusted. So God has called you to marry someone who's different than you, that has different strengths, different weaknesses, and sees life from a different perspective. I I noticed this early on in our marriage. Steph and I would have conflict over what to do on our day off. Can any husband and wife agree with me there? But mine and and her, mine might be different than yours. Uh, On my day off, I always wanted to be with a lot of people. Like, I'm an extreme extrovert. And so I can drive by a parking lot and see that it's full, and it doesn't matter what it is. I want to go there. (laughs) I can can drive by a house and see a lot of people in that house, and I I could want to go in. It's probably a funeral, but I want to go in because there are a lot of people. There, I, I just want to be with people. And, and I just thought that's normal. I just thought that's what everyone wants to have. And I didn't know what was wrong with my wife, that she could just be content by herself. And she started helping me see, you know, that it might not be completely healthy that I had to be with people every waking moment on my day off. But it's important when you have conflict to fight fair. And so let me tell you three things that, that Steph did or that she didn't do that really made our conflict healthy instead of detrimental to me. Let me start with this first one. Never say never 
and always avoid always. Say never, church. Now never say never, again. Never say, never say never, and always avoid always, right? So here's what some spouses say. You never take out the trash, right? Let me just ask, is there anyone in this room who's never taken out the trash? I don't see one person in this whole, someone just pointed to their spouse. You need this message. Um, <laughs> there's no one that never takes out the trash. We, when we say those emphatic statements, we automatically put someone on the defensive, and they're simply not true, and we will immediately start tuning out the other person. And always avoid the word always. Well, you're always like this. You're always selfish. You always just think about yourself. Is there anyone who always thinks about themselves? No. Everyone has at least one other-centered thought in their mind. So never say never. And always avoid always. And Steph did a great job when she was bringing up the fact that I wanted to be with people by not saying you always, always have to be with people. Right? And, and so she brought it up in a right way. Here's the next one. Avoid accusation. And instead... Share how your spouse's actions affect you emotionally, right? So what Steph didn't say is, well, Robert, I just think you're the most insecure man in the world. I'm so glad she didn't say that. That would be an accusation, and what would that do? That would make me immediately have to defend myself and go like, I'm not the most insecure. Like, have you seen Jed over there or whoever? <laughs> if your name is Jed, I don't mean anything by it, right? It's just, uh, uh, of... of Avoid accusation. Instead, what Steph would say is, you know, Robert, when you always have to be with people, sometimes it hurts my feelings because I think you don't want to be with me. Or, or, Robert, it makes me feel like you're, you're not okay just being alone. When someone shares how your actions make you feel, it actually draws you to them. You're like, oh, my little bunny, I don't, I don't want to hurt you like that. He doesn't say bunny in conflict. <laughs> but I should, right? Should. That's, a, that's a sweet term of endearment, right? When someone shares how, instead of accusing you, they share how your, effect, uh, your actions are affecting them, it actually makes you draw near because I don't want to hurt my little bunny in life. <laughs> right? So, so these, these are, are very important ways in fighting fear. The last one is this. Don't compare your spouse to someone else. Never good, right? I mean, you see my brother-in-law, Stephen, up here playing the guitar. Steph could say, Robert, why can't you be alone on your day off like Stephen, where he plays his guitar and worships the Lord? And, I mean, how would that make me feel, right? Why, why can't you be more like my dad, who sits and reads an intellectual But Why do you always have to be with people, shallow boy? You know, she did. Those things don't help anyone when you make comparisons. So... Steph would bring up conflict in a, in a way that was uh, emotionally vulnerable for her and in a way that I knew she was doing Ephesians 4. She wasn't trying to hurt me. When you bring up conflict, your goal, I, I see spouses all the time, they come into arguments and it's like they pull out a chainsaw and they're going like, well, take this. And they're cutting into their spouse. And, and think about this, you never get in a fight and grab a knife and go, ha, and stab your leg. But that's what we do in marriage all the time, right? Because when we stab our spouse, we're one. And so we're going to walk with that limp for a long time. 
So when you win in a fight, you actually lose. So have healthy conflict and fight fear. What do you want to say about that, sweetie? Yeah. Uh, so he made me sound really good in conflict, and I just want to say I've been really not great in conflict. I've had to learn a lot, and I'm still learning a lot. So, um, but in Philippians 2.5, it says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And so I want to say that we come... In, our, in all of our relationships, but we're talking about marriage this morning, so in our marriages with a mindset, okay? And so we all have a different mindset, um, but we're exhorted to have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. So sometimes our mindsets can be um, ones that maybe we have too high value of ourselves, and so we come thinking we're better than we are or less than we are with a um, a poor self-esteem, and so we come to a conflict with a um, a poor value mindset, or maybe we've been abused emotionally or physically, and so it, within our mindset, there's these um, lies or thoughts that are in opposition to the Word of God, and that's part of our mindset, so we come to conflict with a certain mindset, okay? Um, and that's very important to understand that we're coming with two different mindsets, but we are to come with the same mindset. And that mindset is that of Christ Jesus and the example that he laid for us. And in Philippians 2, he took the very nature of a servant and he even became obedient unto death. So Jesus teaches us to come with the mindset of serving one another above ourselves. And I don't know about you, but I don't come to a conflict being the servant of all. A lot of times, if, well, not a lot of times, we're either going to respond with humility, like Jesus is asking us to, or with pride. And when we respond with pride, then it actually opposes God, because James 4, 6, it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He actually empowers the ones of us that are willing to, to choose humility in conflict. And so we're able to hear God, and God comes near to us in conflict, and we're able to hear the needs of our spouse as well. And, you know, uh, it says in Philippians 2 that Jesus was obedient unto death. And I think this may seem a little shocking to some of you guys, but... I think it's right to feel at times in your marriage like you're dying. And I think that's, that's um, when, that you, when you feel that, I think that's actually a, a good place because then transformation really is happening. You're allowing yourself to die and let Jesus raise to life what needs to be raised to life and transform you. And so I think that, you know, conflict is inevitable. That's going to happen. Um, and in that place... We are taught how to come with the right mindset, and that's of a humble servant nature. I remember years ago, because um, our last fight was years ago. Um, I remember years ago. Yesterday. It was yesterday. Um, but We are really good about practicing what we preach. Yes. Um, <laughs> so in this particular time years ago, we were living in a home that the front door opened into the living room. So the first thing that you saw was the, the living room. And so Robert was on his way home and just so excited to see me. Um, and his delight quickly turned to frustration when he walked in the door, because as soon as he walked in the door, 
all the, he saw that all the toys were all over the living room. Um, there were things just thrown around the couches, the floors, and it irked him. And so I could tell he was frustrated. He said a, a couple comments, and one of them, he was frustrated. Why aren't you having the kids clean up their toys? And, and I took that personally. I took, which that was personal, but it's okay that things are personal. Um, but I took offense, and that's not right. And so I became insecure about, oh, I guess I'm not training the kids well to clean their toys, which I needed to be checked on because I wasn't doing a good job at the time. And also I thought, well, am I supposed to be perfect? Like you walk in the door and we're just like beaver cleaver family. That is just not how it is here. And so, you know, I'm having all these thoughts run through my mind. So I respond in pride, right? In my heart. Now I was not mean to him, but in my heart, I responded, I was offended and I responded in pride. And so I opposed God in our conflict. And after a few hours, I was able to get with God and just hear God's heart on the issue. And so I pulled back into my husband and said, okay, maybe we could talk through this. Maybe you could explain to me why that was so hard for you. So in that place of me caring about my husband and what he had to say, I could understand his needs. And honestly, his needs were very simple. He didn't care if the rest of the house was totally a mess. But to him, it meant a lot that the first sight when he walked through the door was a clean, peaceful sight. And as his wife, I absolutely want to meet that need and serve him in that way. I want to see his needs more and consider his needs more important than my own. And that was, that was a very simple need, honestly. And it was, it was a good place for us to talk through, hey, how well are we doing with training the kids to clean? And it, we needed to up our game in that area as well. So I think sometimes we, we come to conflict with, um, with pride and we take offense really quickly instead of having the mindset that we as believers are called to have, and that's a mindset of humility. Let me give a, uh, as we're drawing to the end of this first point, if you have a young child in the room or maybe a young youth, I would encourage you to uh, take them out for the next session as we talk about SEX. And um, I wouldn't have my children in for this next part, but let me just conclude uh, on the fighting fair. What Steph helped get me free from was a leaning towards codependency by actually challenging me on my need to always uh, be with people. And what I helped her do is always have a perfectly clean house. So uh, <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Uh, but what, what you're seeing is that conflict actually helps you grow up in maturity. It helps you grow closer to each other because once you work through conflict, there's a greater intimacy, and it actually helps us grow into the image of God. So conflict is something to be embraced when we do it in a healthy way, so we want to, number one, fight fair. Number two, uh, key or secret to a successful marriage is serve sexually. Serve sexually. Listen to this in Song of Solomon 7, 1 through 8, one of the most sizzling pieces of scripture you'll ever hear. Be ready to blush. How beautiful your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. Your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of an artist's hands. Your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. I don't know that that would be a compliment these days. <laughs> Got a big mound of wheat, baby. Uh, your, 
Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are the pools of Heshbon by the gate of Bathribbon. Your nose is like the tower of Lebanon. Look, looking toward Damascus. I, they might have valued something a little different back in those ancient days. Girl, you look like Pinocchio and your nose is looking somewhere. I don't know what that's all about. Okay, come back with me. Verse 5. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. Your, air is like royal, your hair is like royal tapestry. The king is held captive by its tresses. How beautiful you are. How pleasing, my love, with your delights. Your stature is like that of a palm and your breasts like clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree, and I will take hold of its fruit. Please don't make me explain this to you people. <laughs> there are plenty of commentaries that you can go home and read. But, but here's, here's what this is, is this is God's boy feasting on his naked wife's features and then going to do something with it. And... Um, this is in the Bible, folks. So let me just say that sex is not a surprise to God. You know, he's not all of a sudden, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're doing that. That is no, God said, hey, go for it. This is awesome. I want you to enjoy this. And in fact, I'm going to put a book in the Bible for you to learn from. Let's, let's turn up the volume on this. Let's, let's, let's turn up the heat on this. Sex is like fire. You've heard this analogy, I'm sure, many times. As we were driving to the, the cabin in New Mexico, one of the things I was looking most forward to was in this big stone fireplace, stacking in some pinyon wood and lighting a blazing fire. And there's something so comforting. It's so enjoyable. Just kick your feet up and have a hot glass of tea and read a book in front of a crackling fire. And, and I, I wrote down some elements Uh, of the blessing of fire. Fire brings warmth. Fire cooks food. Fire brings light. Fire's beautiful and mesmerizing to behold. Fire brings comfort. Fire brings people close together. There are so many blessings about fire. I can't imagine a world without fire in the same way. There are so many blessings of sexual intimacy. It's one of the great enhancers, one of the, the great intimacy builders of life. However, on the same trip to the mountains where I'd sit in front for hours of this beautiful fire in a big fireplace, I'd also take hikes up the hill. And one distinctive about this location we were at is that many of the trails are through completely burned down forests. And the reason why is because fire was held irresponsibly. And it turned into a forest fire, burning down hundreds of thousands of acres of pristine woodlands, even destroying homes. And families lost everything they had in this fire that hit the White Mountain National Forest. And how it happened was through some teens who were irresponsible. It's a perfect picture that fire can, on the one hand, be such a beautiful, such a helpful, uh, such a wonderful element in our lives in the same way it can cause tremendous destruction and devastation of life. And that is what sex is like. Sex is a tremendous gift from the Lord to be savored, to be valued, to be celebrated, to be cherished. But outside of the fireplace... It's very dangerous. As you're walking into a national forest, you'll see signs like I saw this past week. Fires need to stay within the fire rings. Make sure and drench your fire when you leave the campsite. I want to tell you one of the greatest ways to destroy your marriage 
is to partake in sexual activity outside of the blessing of the commitment of marriage. Men, if you want to absolutely destroy your sex life, stare at images of women that are not your spouse. Jump into pornography, and unfortunately, that's not just limited to men. It's getting more and more common with women. And here's the destruction of pornography. It's not just affecting you, although it is. Taking in pornography is like acid to your brain. It actually re-hardwires your mind. It brings addiction. It, it, it brings a, a release of, of chemicals that makes you a different person. But it also sets up your spouse against something that they can never attain to because it's not reality. Pornography is not reality. And so we begin to become dissatisfied with our spouse or future spouse because they don't live up to an image we see on TV or in magazines or on the internet. Sex outside of the confines of marriage, not just pornography, although I've seen that absolutely destroy marriages. I've seen it bring so much heartache. I've actually seen it land people in prison and absolutely decimate a whole family at times. I, but sexuality as a single before you're married, why is it wrong? Because when people have sex, the two become one and you become one with someone that you're not committed to. And you actually start receiving from them in a way that God never intended you to. And then once you break up, you absolutely tear each other's hearts out. I've seen all kinds of heartache from this kind of sexuality. I've seen all kinds of, of, of people receiving all kinds of, of, of demonic activity in their lives because it actually is not just a physical thing, but it's a spiritual thing as well. Sex is to be given as a gift. It's to be given as servants. Listen to what it says here in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 3. It says, the husbands should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's need. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Verse 5, do not deprave each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command, but I wish everyone were single just as I am, yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. Let me just draw several points from here. First of all, Paul is saying that there's a singleness that's from God, and we absolutely celebrate that here at this church. As we're doing a series on dating and relationships and marriage, we're not saying that everyone has to be married. Some people have a gift of singleness, and it allows them to set aside their life uh, wholeheartedly for God, and we are behind that and believe in that. Secondly, what we see is that sex is a gift, and it's a gift that we give to each other in a serving way, and that you're not supposed to deprive each other, and it actually saves us from living a worldly life, living in lust, living in wanting to satiate our fleshly desires. Why don't you take us in, Steph, to a woman's perspective on this? Yeah, I think women sit um, in different places on the spectrum in this issue. I think some maybe aren't as interested in sex, and then there's some women who are more interested than their husbands in sex. And then you've got all in between who women who enjoy it, but um, who are often extremely tired. Um, and so when it's, it comes time, maybe at the end of the day, they're exhausted and don't want to give their energy because they just want to go to bed. So I think there's women that sit in all different places on that spectrum. 
But women, I think this is a place where we can serve our husband wholeheartedly and validate that need. And, you know, I, I think it's very healthy to um, both initiate at times. And early on in our marriage, when there was a time when I initiated and the answer was no, and it was very challenging. And I thought, wow, I don't ever want him to feel that from me. And so I just decided from that point on, the answer is always yes. Like, no matter what, the answer is yes, no matter how tired I am. And God has blessed that. God, and God will bless, bless that place. Um, despite what you think your energy level is, um, there's grace to meet your, husband, your husband's need. And it's, and it's a need for me as well. And so... Um, I'm not saying that your answer always has to be yes to your husband, but I definitely would encourage you that God will bless that place of we are called to have a servant mindset in this area, and your body truly is not your own. Like, you really, my body is his, and if he has a need, I, I want it to be, to be met no matter how I'm feeling in a moment. Um, you know, uh, the experts out there, I don't know who the experts are on this. I don't know who deemed them the experts, but they say that um, a healthy sex life is two to three times a week. So very practically, two to three times a week. Um, you know, I think it's uh, very important that at times when life gets busy and crazy that you actually plan it in your week. I think it's very healthy to have language that you guys use to talk about that area of your life. You know, you don't want to just grow in communication or how to do the finances and having a budget, but you want to grow in the area of sex in your marriage. And you don't want to just stay in the same place, but it's an area that we can continue to grow and serve one another in. And so plan it out. If you, for those of you guys that are planners out there, you women who who are planners, this will change your life. And um, I think, you know, sometimes when it's hard when you're not expecting it, so know when it's coming. And in seasons, we've done that. Just when life is super crazy. I mean, life's always crazy, but when we've needed to set do that. alarms on my phone. That just. <laughs> but I, I know, I know. One of the challenges for women is when when young kids are in the mix. Um, you're tired. You give out a lot of energy during the day, a lot of physical energy. And so when it comes to time to meet your husband needs, you're tired. And you're like, are you kidding me? And, and so it's, um, it's right to have um, a, servant, a servant mindset. And if you need to maybe not cook one of the nights that you've planned, Taco Tuesday is there for our benefit. So put Taco Tuesday in the budget and if you see anyone else in this room at Taco Tuesday, just don't look at them because you know why they're there. <laughs> How we made Taco Tuesday famous in San Diego. <laughs> um, so when, when Steph has this attitude of the answer is yes, then as a husband, you want to honor that and not take that for granted, and you, and you don't want to take advantage of that. And, and so here's what I see many husbands do. They become like uh, toddlers throwing a temper tantrum about sex. So as, as men, we start understanding, well, in life, I, don't, I can't just have everything I want whenever I want it, except in the area of sex. Right, that's my right. Like I read a verse one time about the Bible saying something about the wife's body is mine, so come here, baby. Right, that is, 
That's not how we should be as men. We have to come with the attitude of a servant. The Bible says the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And so, men, we have to come in this attitude of, I want to be a servant in the area of, of sexuality in my marriage. So let me first and foremost say, she said the answer is yes. The wife is wanting to lay down her life for us. Let me just say, though, the answer is not yes to everything. Like, she is not talking about abuse. She's not talking about perversion. She's not talking about bringing something unholy into the the sexual aspect of our life. We want what's in the scripture, and there's a lot of great stuff in there. But there's also stuff that can actually be destructive in the area of sexuality. And, And so the answer is yes in what is holy and pure towards God. Secondly, if I know the answer is yes, I need to be a servant in looking at my wife and saying, but is yes good for her right now? I come home, and she looks like she's actually been in the washing machine with the clothes that she's been washing. You know, she looks like this. Probably not a night that's going to be a blessing to her. I come home, and she's, she's all, you know, her nose is swollen, and she's all stopped up and sick. Never happens. You're always beautiful. But if that ever happened, give homegirl a break, guys. Right? Let her get well. She'll do better. Right? And so... I, that was not. We, uh, you need to be a servant, guys. Be a servant in in, in that area. Um, secondly, men, we need to talk about the area of sex with our spouses. Unmet expectation leads to frustration. So I'm not saying you just need to talk about throw out more sexual innuendos in your house. I say, hey, baby, get over here. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about talking about sex. I'm talking about saying. Honey, what are your needs? What, what would be a, a good rhythm of, of sex for you in a, in a week? And you actually have those talks, and so you can know what to expect. And that will be a blessing for your wife uh, when, when times are busy, times are hard, and understanding. And then you won't leave frustrated because men, men can get turned on in a moment, and women like the crock pies all day to simmer and simmer, right? And so we need to... We need to have good expectations. Lastly is this, and this is, a, this is a more serious one. There is so much sexual brokenness. Unfortunately, there is so much pain that's been perpetrated against other people. When we started the church, and I don't think it's the same anymore, but when we, when we started the church, the, the majority of women that we met with had been abused or molested in some form or fashion sexually. And so the area of sexuality was tremendously painful. And unfortunately, in this day and age, men, we have to be aware of that, that this area can be painful. This area can bring up fear. It It can bring up anxiety in our spouses. And one of the greatest ways to serve is to be peaceful and to be understanding and to be nurturing and let me just tell couples in here that, that perhaps you've had more challenges in this, in this area, which is very common. If, don't believe the lie that you're the only couple that's had uh, problems sexually. That's just simply not true. It's just so common. But also know this. You can have breakthrough. You can have freedom. God wants to bless you. He wants to upgrade your sexual life. So if there's a problem, seek counseling. I can't tell you how many times I've seen counseling and inner healing transform someone's sexual life because all of a sudden they understood sex is the gift that God intended for them. Or perhaps there's a medical issue. Just 
don't don't stay in the, in in the in the dark closet and 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 believing that you're the one person that this will never be a blessing for. Go and seek help. Get medical attention. Go to a counselor. Talk to a life group leader. Find a trusted couple in this church. This is a community that you don't have to hide things from. And bring it out and watch God bring transformation and restoration in your life and then give you more than, than you had even hoped for. Anything else you want to say about that? All right. Let's go to the last one. Here's the last one. It comes from Genesis 2.18. It says, The Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. What was she supposed to help him with? She was supposed to help on the mission that God had given mankind. In Genesis 2, God puts man in this environment called the Garden of Eden and says, You're called to rule and reign and extend my kingdom. And then he says, but you know what? You're not supposed to do it alone. You need a helper. Make marriage about mission. That's our third key to marriage success. Make marriage about mission. When marriage is about mission, it's when you'll find your ultimate fulfillment. Steph, what do you want to say about this? Yeah, so, you know, before before Robert and I got married... um, I had decided Jesus was first in, in my life. Um, Matthew six thirty three. it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added. And so for all of us as believers, there is an admonition in Scripture that we seek first the kingdom of God uh, over our spouse, our children, that we seek first the kingdom of God, that Jesus needs to be first. I remember um, when we started dating, and we became more and more serious, and I, my like for him was really growing. I remember a lot of times in my, in my morning times with God, in my face times, I would pray. So I'd sow in prayer. I'd say, God, I, I pray that I would always love you more than I love Robert. I pray that I would always be one step ahead with you than I am with, with Robert because I wanted Jesus to be first. So put a pause on that for a second. So let me just tell you two distinctives about our wedding. I always think it's very telling of the song that a bride walks down to. You know, in the old days, it was dun, 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 dun. I haven't heard that now in the past 100 or 200 weddings I've been to. I go to so many weddings. Now people pick their own processional song. And it's all always a very climactic moment where emotions are high as you're seeing this couple come together. And so we thought long and hard about what the song would be. Because we wanted it to be reflective of that moment for us. We chose a song called Surrender by Lincoln Brewster. Let me read to you the words from this song. It says, and this is a person talking to God. It says, I'm giving you my life and all that is within. I lay it all down for the sake of you, my king. I'm giving you my dreams. I'm laying down my rights. I'm giving up my pride for the promise of new life. What Steph and I were saying is, we've already done this individually. We've said that life is about knowing Jesus. But now we're coming together, and before our family and friends at the biggest event we'll ever have, the most formal and, and, and most monumental ceremony that you'll ever see us at, we're saying life is about surrendering everything to Jesus. But then the second definitive action we took, which maybe it was a little unusual, was what we had written on my groom cake. Did you know you can have a groom cake, man? 
So I gotta have a chocolate groom cake because I don't really like that big white fluffy thing, okay? And so anyway, on the groom cake, we actually wrote a verse and it said, ask of me and I'll give the nations as an inheritance for you. It's out of Psalm 2. So what we were saying by our wedding processional and by our groom cake is life's about two things, knowing Jesus and making him known to the nations of the world. This is the mission of our marriage. The mission of our marriage is not just happiness. I I, want to tell you, if you chase after happiness, you'll find it elusive. But if you spend your life on mission, on knowing Jesus and making him known, you'll find that you'll have a closeness, you'll have a unity and an intimacy that's heavenly. Why don't you keep going? Yeah, so so when we came together, um, you know, we had... We were coming both with a missional mindset. So I think a lot of times there can be tension in marriage when maybe one wants to be missional and one wants the beautiful home with the perfect fence, the right amount of kids, and the the bank account that is always in a good place. And so it creates creates tension when one is saying, hey, I want to seek first the kingdom of God and follow Jesus' principles and align our lives with Jesus as the plumb line. But this person over here is saying, but the world is showing me that I need to have this, and this is, I think, where our true success and happiness will come from. And so it's so important in marriage to both have a missional mindset because when you seek first together, you seek first the kingdom of God, then everything will align rightly. You know, when I think one of the challenges that, that happens is once you start having kids, then you take your eyes off the mission and you put your eyes on the kids and you listen to what they're needing over the mission. And, um, you know, I want to say that in, the kids are never supposed to set the tone in, in the household. Jesus is supposed to set the tone and we're supposed to come under what Jesus has asked of us. And the parents are supposed to lead out on that and tell the kids where you're going as a family. And when you tell the kids where you're going as a family, it brings stability and excitement. And, you know, a lot of times I think um, we complain, maybe we complain about, oh, well, my kid needs this. You don't understand my kid. And instead, it's really you that hasn't, is not willing to be flexible as, as the parent. And kids are way more flexible than the parents are a lot of times. And so it's not easy. Our obedience isn't always easy, and it can come at a great cost. But if we keep our eyes on the mission, we will be blessed and have the greatest inheritance we can have when it's all said and done and we meet Jesus face to face. I think about, you know, just as we've been on on mission for almost 15 years together, um, God has asked us to go to several nations in the journey. We've probably been to over 40 nations together. And when we started having kids, one, two, three, four, they've come on that journey with us. And it's not easy. It's actually really exhausting. But it's a non-negotiable for us. Whether I feel, whether I feel a fearful thought, whether I'm exhausted, it's a non-negotiable. I don't listen to the feelings. I listen to what Jesus is saying about the mission. And, you know, I think back to so many memories about that journey. I think when, um, I think we either had three or four at the time. I can't remember, but I, I can remember we were in one of the airports and one kid was in a stroller, one was on the ground, some of us were on chairs, and we were just all over the airport floor sleeping for five hours until we were um, on to our next flight in the middle of the night. And 
you know, that can sound very daunting, but when we are committed to the mission, all things are possible. And that actually brings so much more bonding for a family than sitting at home watching a sweet movie together can ever do. And so we have found in our family that us being on mission together um, causes so much uh, bonding and intimacy in our family. It's fun to reminisce around the table with the kids about the different stories over the years of times in different nations or times here in San Diego where we've done different outreaches or gone to Mexico. And so that being on mission together as a family is very bonding. I, uh, you know, I think some people fear that if we um, are on mission, we're not going to have enough time for family. And that time with family on mission is the most precious treasured time. It's awesome. Some of you have been on a great sports team before, and a sports team is never great by individuals wanting to be the star or individuals wanting to be the one that gets all the glory. Uh, A great sports team is when everyone lays down their own rights and plays their position and works best as a team to fulfill the goal of the team winning. And it's in the midst of that that you find the greatest companionship and you have the greatest thrill and you get to taste a victory together. It's the same in marriage. When two people have their own goals, they're actually pulling apart and they're hurting each other. But when there's a higher goal, that's when we find that we have the greatest camaraderie. We have the the greatest intimacy and ultimately we're the most fulfilled. How many people have had a day where you're like, I'm just going to do what I want today. And at the end of the day, you're like, that was lame. And then how many of you have woken up and been like, okay, today I need to go do this. I need to serve this person. And at the end of the day, you're putting your head down on your pillow and you're like, man, I feel so great. Why? Because you're doing what you were created to do, which is laying your life down for another. You're living a life of love and therefore you're reflecting the very image of God. And that's what marriage is all about. The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life. And that's what marriage is all about about whether it's in fighting fair and communication, whether it's serving sexually in the area of intimacy, or whether it's in this last area of living as a family on mission or a marriage on mission, we find when we serve, when we lay down our life, then God floods in with his spirit's power and his anointing, and he actually makes marriage above and beyond what we would have hoped for. And that's his desire for you. And that's what we're believing for in this church is great marriages, wonderful marriages, marriages that inspire the world and draw people into the kingdom of God. Amen? Why don't we stand up as we conclude our time? If you've never given your life to Jesus, he is the secret to a great marriage. He's the one who thought of marriage, and I can't imagine having a marriage without the bedrock of Christ and his Holy Spirit's power working in our life and the hand of a loving Father upon me. Jesus died on the cross to forgive you of your sins. He paid that debt that you couldn't pay. He rose from the dead, defeating the power of sin and death, and he wants to put his Holy Spirit into your heart and give you 
agape love, supernatural love for your spouse, supernatural love for others, and empower you to live a life that's devoted to him. If you've never given your life to Jesus, I encourage you to come this morning and pray with one of our prayer partners that'll be at the front. Can I have my prayer team come forward right now, actually? Come on forward if you're a life group leader, if you're one of our prayer team members. And secondly, we want to pray for four marriages today. I know that the area of, of marriage can be so challenging, but God wants to pour out his spirit. You can hear a message like this and go, man, I've got so far to go. Don't we all? But that's the great thing about a church is it's not perfect people. It's what we call the fellowship of the forgiven. God forgives our past mistakes and gives us grace to live out a Holy Spirit-empowered new marriage. Now, I also know that there's singles in the room that you go, man, that area of marriage is so painful for me because I didn't see a good marriage model for me. God wants to rewrite your idea of marriage, and it's all contained within the Scripture. And you come into a new family when you're born again and you become a part of a church, and that's a family that has great marriages ahead. So we want to pray for that as well as we also want to just pray for the needs in the room. If you're sick today, if you have an ailment in your body, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He wants to heal your body. He wants to touch you. Whatever your need is, don't leave here without getting prayer. As we finish our last moments here, you just come forward to receive prayer. And then Stephan, I'll look forward to meeting the new guests with us out in the guest cafe.